2: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Nick Pilato. A little bit of a few quiet days, sort of, with the Giants. One major breaking news, and that was a bit of a surprise for just about anyone, I would say, who follows this team, and that's Patrick Graham making the decision to head on over to Vegas. I don't know if he's a gambler, but I'd rather live in Vegas than uh, the New Jersey, New York area, but... I don't think that was what motivated his decision. I think his decision was, you know, well, we'll talk about that, actually. So let's start there, Nick. How are you doing today, my friend? And what did you make of this decision to, uh, you know, Patrick Graham going to the Raiders? It's unfortunate for Giant fans because a lot of us
1: expected and thought that Patrick Graham was going to be the defensive coordinator once the Vikings went in a different direction. And obviously, that did not materialize. And I think uh, it was Art Stapleton that pointed out a lot of factors as to why Patrick Graham may have went in this direction. Mainly, you know, he was really close with Joe Judge and that Joe Judge got fired. That was one of his boys, one of his best friends. And it was kind of an awkward dynamic if he were to return on a different coaching staff with Brian Dayball. And he's also really close with Josh McDaniels. They worked together over there in New England. so. It makes sense from that standpoint. I mean, he's going to, you know, I wish him the best, but he does have to play Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes twice a year. That's going to be a challenge for him. But, I mean, he's a great, brilliant defensive mind, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do with the personnel of the Raiders' defense. Yes, the Raiders' team is a solid team, but the defense, they have some really good players, but then they have some holes as well. So I'm I'm interested to see what happens next season for Patrick Graham.
2: Yeah, exactly. He's finally going to have what he didn't have with the Giants which is a pass rush. He has some good, big guns there, especially Max Crosby, obviously. And he's also going to have, you know, a little bit more, I would say, I don't know if he's going to have the same kind of level secondary there, but he should have some other pieces to work with on that defense. Side of the ball, I haven't really studied the Raiders roster in depth to be completely honest. Don't really care to, but I think that, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if he changes up his scheme at all. If he starts a blitz more, anything like that,
1: he's, A coordinator that I do believe will adjust to his personnel. I don't think he's rigid by any means. And I think we even saw that here with the New York Giants. And I'm interested also with Trevon Merrick, man. He's a kid that they drafted at a TCU. He's similar to Xavier McKinney in the sense that they can both play that single high center field role. So if he does want to run some cover one and everything like that, they have somebody who can patrol the secondary well in Trevon Merrick.
2: Yeah, Merrick was somebody who I was interested in the draft and haven't really tracked him at all, but that'll be interesting to see if he uses him in that McKinney role as well. Uh, obviously, this leads the Giants to a defensive coordinator search that they might have not expected to have to go through, but now they're going through it. Um, they've cast a pretty wide net. Right now, it seems like it's down to a couple of candidates here. Wink Martindale and Steve Wilkes appear to be the uh, favorites right now, though they have also interviewed Terrell Austin, but Austin then went on to except the Steelers defensive coordinator job just shows how he was kind of in high demand. They also had Sean Desai in the mix who kind of took that bears defense after the bears lost Vic Fangio and has made it into a really respectable unit. I mean, they have a lot of talent on that bears defense. Let's be clear. But with that said, it's a really good unit and same thing with Jim Schwartz who would really come in and change a lot if he was to be hired by the giants. And I know they were interested in him. He uses that Y nine scheme. A lot of four man even front. So, a lot would change if Schwartz was named defensive coordinator. What are your thoughts on the defense coordinator search so far?
1: My main guy right now, now that Fangio's name isn't necessarily being linked to the Giants, which is kind of upsetting because he would by far and away be my number one option. He's one of the best defensive minds in the game right now. But since he's not really being considered, I'm leaning towards Wink Martindale. I think the Giants. So first off, Wink Martindale runs a lot of man coverage, and he brings a lot of pressure. They call him the pressure mullet, the mullet pressure, because he kind of has a mullet. But that's neither here nor there. This is somebody who, in those third-down situations, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be that, he's going to bring exotic blitzes. He's going to use simulated pressures, which means it's not going to just be the people you expect to come that come. And it's disguised really well. So I would love to study that defense with the Giants personnel. But just looking at Wink Martindale's philosophy of bringing the pressure attacking and then playing man coverage on the back end and relying on your safeties to play over the top have a safety with range the giants have some personnel that can fit that specifically xavier mckinney and then i look at the cornerbacks the giants have two pretty i would i don't want to say aaron robinson is a good man coverage cornerback yet just because he hasn't necessarily consistently proved it in the nfl but I believe he definitely has the capabilities to be that. So I think Robinson and Adoree Jackson both fit in to what Wink Martindale would want to do. And then you can bring in, you know, Aziz Ojolari and all the fun things he could do with him and Quincy Roche and then Ellison Smith's another young player that I would be really excited to see in that scheme. So I'm really intrigued with Wink Martindale. What are your thoughts on Wink Martindale? And then we can kind of go into some of these other coaches.
2: Yeah, out of who's remaining, he'd be my number one choice. Fangio would have been my number one, but I kind of didn't put him as number one because I never really expected the Giants to get him. I think he's going to either wait for a head coaching job or go with a friend. Uh, Maybe that was depending. I've actually heard him rumored to be potentially going to Miami to work with McDaniel there. I don't know where the connection is from, but that'd be interesting. Obviously, he'd probably have more say as well uh, because McDaniel's a younger coach. But as far as what's left, Martindale would be my number one. and. I'd be most excited for not only McKinney, but a Jackson. I think a Jackson would be great in the system. You mentioned all the other players who'd be great in the system as well. I think with Martindale, when you're that style of defense, that attacking aggressive de- style of defense, a lot of man and a lot of just crazy amount of cover zero blitzes, which is just risky, but interesting. At the very least, you're getting off the field. <laughs> you know, if you're giving up points, you're getting off the field and you're taking your defense off the field and Otherwise, you're making big plays and you're causing turnovers and you're wreaking havoc. Like there are just some games where I felt like the Giants had a matchup against the quarterback who's not good and can't diagnose blitzes and can't adjust and get the ball out hot. And an offensive line that's shaky, dealing with injuries, and they still played a similar game plan with with um, Patrick Graham. That's not the case, you know, with Wink Martindale. He'll wreck your team. If you, you know, the Giants are a good example. Two years ago, they played the Ravens in, in 2020. He wrecked the team. Like, the offensive line had been playing well. Two weeks ago, they ran for 200 against the Seahawks. He wrecked them. He wrecked Thomas that game, who had been playing great. And ever like, oh, but he's playing a little injured. Doesn't matter. He was playing good football. And he wrecked him. And he wrecked Matt Parrott. And he wrecked the entire offensive game plan. <laughs> From Joan, anything Jones could do coming off the injury to anything that the running game could do as well. Totally wrecked. And sometimes I feel like there are games. We discussed this like three podcasts ago where... You know, just the combination of quarterback and offensive line where if you just played an, an uber aggressive style of defense against it, there's just literally nothing they can do. You just press up on them. I mean, the Giants are a good example of this. The Bucks games, like especially that for uh, the past two Bucks games, like there was nothing they can do offensively based on. Bull saying, I know Daniel Jones can't beat this right now. Daniel Jones hasn't proven he can beat this. He didn't prove he can beat it against Arizona. He didn't prove he can beat it against Baltimore the two years before. And he didn't prove he can beat against me, even though he weirdly did the first time they matched up against Tampa. But since then, he hasn't been able to prove in the Steelers. There's plenty of examples of teams that have just said, screw it. We're going to put everybody on the line of scrimmage and dare Daniel Jones to beat us deep or, or figure it out quick enough to beat us deep. We all know Daniel Jones is a good thrower deep when he has time. and He can set his feet and you know throw from a balanced base or diagnose it quickly and again throw from a balanced base but when the diagnosing isn't there quickly and he has to adjust he hasn't done a good job of beating it and so i think there are a lot of quarterbacks like that a lot of offensive lines like that across the nfl so i would be excited just for that having a coordinator who i know is going to just take advantage of and beat up on those types of teams
1: one way to look at his defense wink Martindale's, dales is it's kind of feast or famine and there are definitely elements Of that for certain, because when you bring the blitz, if you're playing a quarterback that can adjust to the blitz, he can make you pay. Now, I don't think he's going to be overly reckless, Greg Williams type of (laughs) reckless in terms of blitzing quarterbacks that can make you pay, but it is something that does definitely interest me. Desai, and he's the Chicago Bears defensive coordinator, but he was only the defensive coordinator for one year. And I believe he was on Fangio's staff as a quality control coach when Fangio was the defensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears before he headed over to Denver to be the head coach there. But he has those Fangio type of uh, principles. I haven't studied through the film of the Chicago Bears. I know their defense this season, they lost Khalil Mack. They were about middle of the pack in terms of scoring and yardage allowed. But a lot of people are revering him as an up-and-comer. I wish I kind of had time to dive into his tape. I have not quite yet, but he's definitely another option that is being interviewed by the New York Giants.
2: And he certainly looked like he put together a pretty damn good game plan against the Giants this year. I know a lot of teams did and a lot of coordinators did, but not a lot of coordinators and teams did the exact type of job that he did, like as good of a job as he did. That was a helpless offensive performance by the Giants. Like They had a few of those, but I don't know if anything was as bad as that Bears game. I shouldn't say that. It got worse and worse progressively, but that was one of the worst performances, and that was obviously a good game plan by Desai. And by the entire Chicago defense, you know, he dealt with other injuries too. Akeem Hicks has been banged up really throughout, and especially last season as well. So interesting candidate for sure. Uh it seems like Steve Wilkes is 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 more of a favorite though right now. Obviously, I don't have too much on Wilkes. He had the connection to the Giants as a former head uh, you know, as a as a potential head coach. And that is also something I like about Wink, by the way. He was talked about last year as like last cycle as like up and come or potentially a really good head coach candidate. Well, if you can get a great coordinator and somebody who has head coaching, you know, chops or head coaching type traits, that's also an extra advantage. And that's just a good thing to have as well. But Steve Wilkes also in the mix. Wilkes,
1: he was the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals in 2018. That was Josh Rosen's rookie season. It was a disaster and he was let go after that. But he comes from the Sean McDermott coaching tree he was with Sean McDermott as a defensive coordinator before Sean McDermott went to take the head coaching job for the Buffalo Bills what I know about Wilkes is he ran I believe a good amount of zone coverage that's kind of similar to Sean McDermott when he was at Carolina and a lot of four down a lot of even fronts so the personnel of the Giants, I think they could adjust to that, but they were just a more of a 3-4 type of build. Now, Patrick Graham is very fluid. He's made that clear. We saw that. He had a lot of four down fronts. He had five down fronts sometimes. He had three down fronts. He's not somebody who necessarily ever pigeonholed himself into a 3-4 or a 4-3. But if you look at the Giants' personnel right now, I think they could go either way, but they may be a little bit more... Settled as a 3-4 type of team with the outside linebackers that they have right now. But as we've said on this podcast before, that's not as big of a deal as we once kind of imagined with how fluid the NFL is and how they play in sub packages so often.
2: Yeah, for sure. They're they're probably set up more that direction, but I do think they can go either direction too as well. So we'll see what happens there. All right, Anything else on the defensive coordinator search right now before we get into some other hirings by the Giants uh, in this time?
1: yeah I just think Jim Schwartz's name getting thrown back out there is isn't necessarily a bad thing. Jim Schwartz was the head coach of the Detroit Lions and then he went on to be the defensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles when they won the Super Bowl. I think he did a good job kind of talking about his system. He's mostly known for that it was wide nine so wide nine essentially means you're going to be outside of the tackles outside shoulder by a good distance. And what this does is it gives you easier rushing lanes up the pass rushing arc. It kind of softens the angle into the pocket. When you have really twitched up type of edge rushers, Aziz Ojolari kind of falls into that category, but there are people in this draft who are much more twitchy, much more explosive than even somebody like Aziz. Because Aziz has physicality as well. He's not just pure like Yannick Ngakwe type of speed. But when you have those types of guys, it can be advantageous for them to rush from angles such as that. So that's kind of his calling card. If you were to pick one thing from a Jim Schwartz defense, what would it be? It would be those wide angles when those pass rushers can pin their ears back. I mean, you put a tackle Basically on an island, and if he's not good in that situation, you can make him pay.
2: Yeah, it's also vulnerable though to inside type like uh, trap runs and like inside screens. So, and I've seen the Eagles get beat up years with Schwartz. I feel like that Schwartz defense to me. I I, I don't know how I feel about Schwartz. I, I I'm probably a little bit more skeptical on him than anyone, but Wilkes.
1: Now, I'm not necessarily singing his praises. I'm just talking about yeah, some no, uh, defense adds.
2: For sure, for sure, I get it. Um, all right, some other hirings by the Giants. Shay Tierney, quarterback coach. Bobby Johnson, we went over. The offensive line coach, Andy Bischoff. Jerome Henderson's going to be back in the secondary. Thomas McGee as well. This is good. Lori Young as director of coaching operations. Do you have anything, uh, anything, any interest in any of these coaches or anything to add on them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. First off, bringing back Jerome Henderson is an excellent move. He was one of the coaches that was on the previous staff that I had the utmost respect for he was vocal whenever his guys would mess up but it seemed like there was a reverence about jerome henderson he really talks about technique 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 about playing through the catch point technique about which arm to use when you're playing the ball so you can maintain contact on the receiver he's a very technically sound type of coach and that's what you want in a freaking coach so i was ecstatic to hear that he was coming back and then there's andy bischoff he comes from the texans last year he was working under david Coley and then that got me kind of poking around with David Coley. We still have the New York Giants still have a running back spot open. They have a wide receiver coach open, obviously the defensive coordinator, linebacker defensive line, et cetera. David Coley. I wonder if he is a possible option to come on to staff here because he's been a wide receivers coach in his past. He's been a running back coach in his past. albeit it. It was a long time ago. And he has connections with Brian Dayball from 2018 when he was a quarterback coach with the Buffalo Bills. So I'm, curious with these recent connections to David Coley and then his, him being connected to Brian Dable, if he's going to wind up on this staff and I would welcome that to be honest because it seems like he had so much respect from the Texans players yeah
2: it'd be cool to get Coley out of this because I feel like that's a nice ad for me these ones uh I'm happy to have Henderson back I think you kind of summed it up perfectly I like how they've taught these defensive backs and I like the progress we've seen with a lot of these defensive backs it feels like over the last two seasons, Giants have really picked up a lot of guys, not off the street, but essentially off the street. And they've performed pretty damn well in that secondary. These are low-level picks, late draft picks, undrafted free agents, um, and, you know, players players that uh, are more unheralded. So I think they've done a good job teaching technique there. I'd really like to have Thomas McGahey back. He did a great job with this special teams unit before Joe Judge got here. Uh, maybe even, or not even maybe, definitely a better job than even Joe Judge did once he got here. So that's good. I don't have too much to add on the other coaches, Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens with those guys as well.
1: Yeah, Shea Tierney, I mean, I just like the fact that he has been with Brian Dayball for several years now. So he knows Brian Dayball. He knows Brian Dayball's philosophy. He knows what Brian Dayball is going to want in a quarterback's coach. He was the assistant quarterback coach last season for the Bills. So he comes over from Buffalo, continue to poach people from Buffalo. You know, I mean, that's a successful franchise. They went from being a tire fire, I believe their general manager was fired right after a draft before they brought in Brandon Bean. So they were a kind of a laughing stock, and now they're one of the best franchises in the National Football League. So if the Giants can replicate that, you can sign me up any day of the week. And also continuity is huge. We had Joe Shane talk a lot about that. Brian Dayball has talked about that. And if you could bring over that coaching staff or at least parts of that coaching staff, that would be excellent. Same goes for whoever the defensive coordinator is, if he can bring people over that he's worked with as well. Yeah, without a doubt. Are you finally ready to win money and boost your odds win bet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Michigan, Tennessee, and Virginia. The excitement of win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. Get exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on the action with your favorite teams and players from the NFL, MLB, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Right now at WinBet, you can find great promos, odds, and payouts from boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport. WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet and download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 years or older and present in a state where play through WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: But we'll have to see what happens there. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's transition a little bit here. I wanted to touch a little bit on an interview that uh, Joe Shane, the new Giants GM, had with John Schmelk. I thought it was a really good interview, and I thought there were some really interesting nuggets that Shane revealed that, you know, doesn't always happen. And that you won't always get from kind of what you see. With some other interview. So good job by John Schmelk asking the good questions there. I, I think that, you know, they get a lot of crap, the big blue pickoff, kickoff guys, but I've always thought John Schmelk has done a great job there. Like literally incredible job. And I thought he asked better questions to Joe Shane than anyone did from the beat reporters during his presser. And, you know, since there's been a few other interviews. So one of the first things that he talked about was Shane's, mentioned his belief in positional value when it comes to the draft. He talked about how important those cost controlled rookie contracts, as he called them at premium positions would be versus having to pay, you know, 20 million plus for a corner and they're hard to find on the market or 20 million plus for a left tackle and they're hard to find on the market. So he clearly understands the value of position based, you know, it doesn't based on that, based on what he said. And obviously the bills like they're not, they're not idiots. They didn't draft a running back high. They used two mid to late round picks on running backs. To me, the days of Saquon, a running back at number two overall, or even honestly, to be completely clear, a mostly run first defensive tackle, interior defensive lineman, 17 overall, those days are gone. Like you may see pass rusher types, defensive linemen like Gregory Rousseau is a bigger guy, but he can rush the passer. The goal for him was to rush the passer. The bill selected him. You may see those type of guys. But the days of these interior defensive linemen who are mostly run stoppers and running backs going in the top 17, I I think they're over based on what Shane said. And and I I couldn't be happier to hear it. Jordan Davis might debunk that. That's going to be an interesting one. The kid
1: from uh, Georgia this year, he's somebody who is just a massive, like six foot eight, huge individual who could be selected around that point of the draft. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. I mean, it seems to be a deep draft in terms of the defensive line right now. A lot of those guys who were down in Mobile were just excellent. And I'm wondering if that's going to possibly force teams to reconsider how high they're going to take someone as talented and as big as Jordan Davis.
2: Yeah, and it all depends, too, on like what they can offer as a pass rusher for sure. But it sounded to me like the Giants aren't going to be in the mix for any more for that type of team that doesn't, you know, put first positional value because they want to find that bargain. They want to find that cost controlled contract at a premium position, you know, whether that be corner and left tackle, like you mentioned or other premium positions like quarterback, which he also mentioned, he talked about the quarterback position as well.
1: He also talked about how deep this draft was. I thought that was interesting. And he talked about how, a lot of players who they initially thought their evaluations were done with because they were seniors. They had four years of eligibility, but these players because of COVID exercised their fifth year of eligibility. Now they have an extra year of development and they're a little bit more mature and they have an extra year in the weight room. So he talked about how that was kind of an interesting wrinkle to this draft specifically. And he talked about how deep the draft was overall. So I don't know, man, there's things that lead me to believe that Joe Shane is going to really, and I I believe this anyways, he's going to consider trading back, but I think it's advantageous for him to trade back. And I think he kind of feels that way as well.
2: Yeah. And uh, extra point to what you said before, that was something the giants mentioned last year as well, how they wanted to accrue extra picks for this class because they looked ahead and they knew that due to COVID and the eligibility, there was going to be a deeper class and they're going to have more information on this class. So that was actually pretty nice and forward looking by the former regime. And he even mentioned, he said, I, I, He said he wants to take "quote unquote" as many swings as he can regarding Mm -hmm. trading back in the draft. And he said specifically, given where this Giants roster is at, he didn't say this is his philosophy all the time, but he said, given where they're at, he wants to take as many swings.
1: It's context, man. It's very specific to the New York Giants. And I love to hear that. And honestly, you nailed it when you were talking about Schmelke, man. I thought he had a just an amazing interview here, and it was only like 13 minutes long, but like I, I took away several different things. And Joe Shane also talked. A lot about the character of the person that they're bringing into the building. And that's something that I think is very important, especially now that we're hearing. Did you hear Todd McShay's recent? I think he tweeted it or he talked about it maybe on his podcast about Kayvon Thibodeau and how he's hearing from what he heard in Mobile is that Kayvon Thibodeau may fall out of the top five or he might be available at five for the New York Giants. And it's because of not character concerns, like he's a bad guy but character concerns in the sense of how hard is he going to work and things like that. And Shane kind of went in on that discussion when he was talking to John Schmelk about how you need to kind of follow the red flags and take seriously people's work ethic, their passion for their game, how they practice practice habits, true toughness, all of those types of things. Will they show up to a uh, camp out of shape? And I'm not saying Thibodeau would do any of those types of things, but if there are actual concerns around this individual, will Someone like Joe Shane actually pick him at five if he does end up falling.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it's a part of the reason why Tom Brady is the greatest player of all time because of his competitive drive and his and his work ethic. But that's a huge factor. You gotta want to be amazing. You gotta love the game. And despite the fact that the previous regime preached this, they didn't practice it. They draft they traded three picks to draft DeAndre Baker. That was a massive mistake in that regard. They did not do a good job evaluating his character and how hard he wanted to work for it because even before what happened off the field with the legal stuff, he was, quote-unquote, sleeping in meetings and not really taking the defense seriously and didn't pick up James Betcher's system and was out of position all the time. And so it's definitely good that, you know, this regime is probably going to correct those issues or at least they're, they're they're claiming they will. And we'll see. Time will tell. But I also thought it was interesting that he said, you know, versus like the traditional uh, analytics, quote unquote, or, you, or uh, I should say metrics, quote unquote, like the 40-yard dash. He said, you know, what they're going to do is try to use GPS data and whatever they can collect from the colleges regards to GPS data and things of that nature to kind of factor in analytics, which I've always been a big fan of because the 40-yard dash is, is just overrated. It's a terrible metric for just about every position. There's very few positions where it matters. In my opinion, corner is the one where it matters the most by far receiver matters the second most, but not even that important. And then it's just massive drop off for me in importance. And so taking into account things like GPS data that shows how fast these guys actually are game speed wise with the pads on that matters. And I'm happy that they're going to incorporate that as well.
1: Play speed. That's a huge metric that they have to actually measure because like we've said several times on this podcast, running in your underwear is a lot different than playing in between the lines. Shane also talked a lot about the mental makeup that kind of goes into the, the character thing that I was mentioning before, but he really touched on critical factors and position specific factors, which is something that we're taught at the scouting Academy. Like for critical factors, it applies to each position that's play strength, play speed, athletic ability, competitive toughness, mental processing, and then position specific. It's going to be how they want to construct this roster. Now that that's another interesting thing because John Schmelk asked, uh, Joe Shane, if he had thresholds for positions, if they're believers in having certain thresholds for positions that you adhere to, you know, 99% of the time or 90% of the time. And Shane said, yes, I'm a believer in those thresholds, those size, those length, those speed thresholds for certain positions. And I thought that was really interesting. But then he said, you don't want to get too stubborn with that. And then he discussed Devin Singletary specifically. And he was like, Devin Singletary did not test well at all. He ran like a four, six something at the combine, but we studied his tape. We saw his elite vision and and he had enough factors that kind of overcame their threshold. And that's something that I love to hear because it means they're not going to do that whole like, oh, Russell Wilson's 5'11". We're not going to draft him. And that's how he ends up going in the third round. And the Jacksonville Jags took a punter over him. Not going to necessarily happen. But at the same time, they're going to have certain thresholds that they want for positions. The one that comes to my mind, just looking at how they built Buffalo is length at the edge position and the defensive line position. I think that's something that Joe Shane is going to really prioritize.
2: Yeah. For sure. And quickness, vision, things of that nature at the running back position, force missed tackles and ability to create yards after contact, I think, was also prioritized in both Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. So I'm, I'm actually of the mindset of I really want the Giants to invest in running back this draft on day three, maybe even day two with one of their third round picks. I wouldn't hate that at all, depending on who the player is. Um, and I don't want them to have any boxes that act like this guy needs to be this size. This guy needs to run this fast because it's the same reasons why Khalil Herbert dropped in last draft. And it just looks like an absolute steal for the bears, the spark plug juice for that offense. And there's other examples of that Ramondre Stevenson, another player who did a great job of forcing missed tackles and creating yards after contact at the college level, but didn't run fast, didn't run fast on the straight line. And so he was, he fell to what the fourth round, to the Patriots. So just two hits that you can find by kind of having a different, set of boxes that you're looking to check off rather than the traditional ones um and i think that's a great thing as well so we'll see what happens there all right any other giants news you want to touch on well
1: we could touch on uh just something that i find to be kind of entertaining that andrew whitworth he talked about how he wanted to be a giant in in 2017 dan uh, how does that trigger you my friend
2: yeah, I actually wrote an article on Giants dated January 7th, so I was really thinking about this early, about how the only thing the Giants need to do this offseason is sign Andrew Whitworth. This is even before the reports came out that he was even interested. I was just like, go get him. He's still elite. He had, I think at the time, like, graded out back-to-back as like a top-three left tackle. And was just so obviously a slam-dunk signing. And the Giants just didn't do it. I guess they had faith in Eric Flowers developing that year. I don't know how. Um, and they went on to sign Andrew Mart. Uh, I'm sorry, Brandon Marshall. So obviously a big mistake there. Um, you know, it is what it is at this point, but just one year later, they go ahead and sign Nate Solder, that contract that's still going to be on the books this year. They're going to have to eat dead cap just to get rid of him. Would have never happened if they went Whitworth. Exactly. And that kind of is, uh, something
1: that I see just on the timelines. people like, maybe we should give Matt Parrott. More of a chance, even though he tore his ACL, which doesn't really make any sense to me. And it kind of reminded me of this situation in, in a small sense, just because it's different free agency. And obviously the Giants are considering drafting a tackle, but the Giants didn't go after Whitworth because they had Eric Flowers at left tackle, despite the fact that Eric Flowers was not a good tackle. It was pretty evident early, man, that they probably should have, bless you, moved him in and <laughs> to be a guard. But that did not happen. So... I'm wondering, I'm just like looking at this entire situation. The Rams signed this guy three years, 30 million. The next year, like you said, four years, $62 million deal to Nate Solder. How incredible is that? The next season, the Giants could have had Whitworth, but instead they invested money in Rhett Ellison, Brandon Marshall, and DJ Fluker. So the Giants, to me, man, like you have to invest in the tackle. We said that last year, dude, you can't rely on that pair. He was a 99th pick and he hadn't shown anything up to that point. At least bring in somebody who can compete with him because you have Nate Solder, a guy who hadn't played in a year, behind him. They can't make the same decision, man. I'm hoping the Giants really look at some of these top tackles with either the fifth pick or the seventh pick.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting because we did have on our big board last year, Sean Slater, number one overall, and Mika Parsons up there, too. Those are the two guys we really wanted from that class, and they both hit, but but Slater for us was a little bit out on out on the ledge because a lot of people were like, no, the Giants shouldn't draft a tackle. They have Matt Parrott, and they have Andrew Thomas. And we just didn't believe in that. We still don't believe in that. And I think at this point, obviously with Parrott's injury, it's, it's come to a different stage of it. It's now you better draft one. Normally I'm not of the mindset of, you got to draft a certain position, no matter what, but there are enough potential blue chip tackles in this class that I do think the giants will be making a mistake if they come out of that first round without one of these tackles. And, So we'll see what happens there. I still think it's very likely the Giants will draft one of these tackles at either five or seven overall, or if they trade back. And time will tell, but there's really no other option because Barrett's injured. They got to get Solder off the books. They don't even have a swing tackle in to potentially start. It's impossible to find these guys on the free agent market for any kind of reasonable price. So there's just there's limited options for them. So they're almost backed into a corner here based on the mistakes by the previous regime. Just a horrific job by Gettleman of, of, of drafting and developing the tackle position. It's it's amazing to me, too, because he had four years to do it, four full years of having an incredible amount of draft picks. You know, the best draft capital in the NFL from an overall draft capital standpoint, if you use the dra- draft J-chart. And unlimited for spending because Maher's like, whatever, dude, just spend. I don't care. You can push back all the bits. We'll deal with it. Later, the next GM will have to, you know, to clear the books and figure it out. And and he leaves us with the final product is Nate Solder, Matt Parrott, and Andrew Thomas. Come on. That's, that's just, a, just a terrible job by him. And obviously now they're in a position where they basically have to draft one. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But yeah, just just another mistake by them. Another former uh, Giants draft pick at one point was actually viewed to be the future <laughs> franchise quarterback by Paul Dettino, um who you know, relied on his sources from within the organization to say that, look, I've talked to a lot of people in this organization. They're pretty clear. This guy's got it. And this guy's going to be the next franchise quarterback in New York football giants, the next Eli Manning. That's Davis Webb, who now looks to potentially be returning to the giants. I guess as a quarterback, the report was really weird weird from Dan Duggan. Who was like, he's either going to stay with the bills and get into coaching, or he's going to go to the giants and be, and stay as a player. If you're deciding between coaching and playing, I don't know if I can get too excited about you as a signing.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know either, but I thought it was hilarious that we got Davis Webb back, man. I mean, good for him. I, I remember when the Giants drafted him back in, what was that, 2017? It was a draft. I think it was Jerry Reese's last draft after they took Evan Ingram and Dalvin Tomlinson, if I'm not mistaken. It was a third round pick, senior bowl MVP. And uh, yeah, I, I never thought him coming out of Cal and transfer into Cal from Texas Tech. Pat Mahomes, usurp him at Texas Tech, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, yeah, I never thought yeah, that Webb
2: <laughs> did usurp him.
1: Yeah, I, I never thought Davis Webb was that. But I thought you were going to be interested in this. There was another player that was signed, Dan, and that was the former Browns punter, Jamie Gillen, to a reserve future contract. He thinks this is going to spell the end to Mr. Riley Dixon
2: without a doubt. the Giants need to find a way to get forty million in cap space, according to Joe Shane just to be a little bit healthier for this draft and everything. That's the easiest one. Riley Dixon, the easiest cut in the NFL. Terrible. I mean, what the hell? Dave Gettleman traded a pick and then immediately resigned him after one year. Just, it's just a a litany of embarrassing mistakes. We don't have to go over it again. Nobody wants to hear it. Uh, People want to hear it, but the people who don't want to hear it are loud and vocal about it. So whatever, but thank God they're finally getting rid of that. Riley Dixon contract. (laughs) He's going to be off the books. I hope this Gillum guy makes it because then they don't have to really pay much or allocate much to the punter position, which I am totally fine with.
1: Yeah, he has A plus hair game, by the way, like great hair. So I think that's really important. He was on the Bills practice squad at the end of 2021 after he was not with the Browns anymore. So there's obviously a connection between the Bills and then Gillen. And he's also his nickname, according to Wikipedia, which never lies, is the Scottish Hammer. Which is cool because we all remember the last great giant Scottish special teams player and how he kicked the Giants to the Super Bowl back in two thousand and seven. Shout out to Lawrence Times. Oh yeah,
2: new another Scottish player on the special teams can't beat it. One can't more thing it. I wanted to touch on was Mark Cons, who's now out of the Giants front office. This was a Dave Gettleman hire. The reason I wanted to bring this up, Nick, is because it's interesting. You see some of these other guys from other organizations. The Giants obviously just hired an assistant GM from the Eagles, who we're excited about and. I want to see if these guys who are part of Dave Gettleman's regime end up getting jobs elsewhere, or get hired elsewhere. The Chris Pettits, the, Chris, you know, the Mara, the Chris Maras, the Mark Conses of the world. And if they don't, what does that say about the decision to hire them in the first place? And, you know, the, you know, where this regime was at? And, and I guess it should say, looking forward, things can only get better.
1: Pettit was with the Giants for a while. He's not just a Gettleman guy, but Gettleman was raised in the Giants organization. So which is it's also funny, though, when you look at Dave Gettleman, because his branches aren't so terrible or so broken because Brennan Bean is a part of his branch, which kind of, in a way, Joe Shane would be a part of the Dave Gettleman tree in a a weird way.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. There's no doubt about it. And so his tree is doing better than, than I guess, uh, the branches are doing better than the actual uh, base of the tree. What is what is it called, the base of a tree? A stump? No, nah, maybe.
1: I mean, that's when it's cut. And, I mean, he's cut at the stump. moment. I mean, we're yeah. maybe it's a stump.
2: It might be a stump. All right, that's all I have on the Giants right now. Nick, anything else from you?
1: Nah, man, just uh, looking forward to seeing who this defensive coordinator is. And once we get that higher, we'll dive into his defense and discuss his film.
2: For sure. All right. Thanks again to everybody tuning into Big Blue Banter podcast. And thank you to everybody. And I mean this, who took the time to leave us a review. Not only did you get us over 700 reviews for the first time, you washed out all the obnoxious haters. And now it's just littered with five star reviews, which I really appreciate. We need to knock down the idiots. I'm sorry. That's what you are. If you're still listening. That means you listened to this, and you still took the time to try to hurt our podcast, so screw you. And I stand by that. Sorry if Nick doesn't like that. We'll talk about that off the pod. It's not the best for business. It's not the most political way to go about it. But thank you to everybody who did do it. That's Justo Busto, Rich A, uh, Giants fan Greg. And a couple interesting things in here which I actually want to touch on. So we'll start here with Put Some Respect on My Name, which also is just a great reference to that. uh, I think it was a Hot 97 interview where that dude was like, Gotta put respect on my name, not respect, respect. So that's CK at the end of that. So he said, Great podcast, guys. Dan, has Jamar Chase made you rethink your anti wide receiver position? So I guess I'll answer this first and then you could dive into this next. One well, I'm never really anti wide receiver. I was obviously offensive tackle over receiver, and I am inside out drafting. But I did read some literature recently that's kind of changed my mind. I was reading something that uh, Brian Callahan, the Bengals offense coordinator, and Brian Callahan and Zach Taylor, Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan, talking about that decision, the chase over seal decision. And in their mind with how they set up that offensive system and with Joe Burrow specifically and his skill set as a quarterback. It was more important in their mind to get playmakers who can win one-on-one because Burrow is the type of quarterback who likes to look for the intermediate and vertical shots. And if you can win one-on-one early, it gives that offense such a really good chance. And they like to run fast. You know, they like to run on tempo They like to run spread. They like to run pass-heavy game scripts. And so with that said, it's really even more important to beat these man-coverage teams, as they talked about, with guys who can win one-on-one uh, at the wide receiver position. So it actually has made me rethink. I think there are multiple ways to build an NFL roster. I've always thought that, but I have always believed in the inside-out approach. Part of it is because wide receiver position is more bust heavy. Part of it is be, and you could just look at all the drafts to show that from the first rounds. Part of it is because it's more injury prone for sure. But you know, if you hits like it did with Jamar chase and we knew chase was an easy eval, me and Nick had him as a top three player in the class. If you can find those guys, it's probably a good case can be made that they can make a just as big of an impact or a bigger one than that tackle. Absolutely.
1: I a hundred percent agree. And an approach is an approach. It doesn't mean that it's set in stone. You can alter and deviate from your approach. For me, it's always about just the context. The fact that there was already an established rapport and not just an established rapport, but a championship winning established rapport between Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow, to me, makes you have to reconsider that approach if that was your
2: approach. Great point. Exactly. Like I listened to um, Ed O'Dron and I think I mentioned on the pod last week, but I'll mention it again. I listened to Ed O'Dron who's like chasing Burrow before their breakout season through 10,000 balls with each other this summer. Like that rapport is priceless and it's a big factor as to why they were able to have so much success so early in the NFL. So all of these factors, like Nick said, have to be taken into account. Sure. Do
1: you want to try it in his voice?
2: <laughs> no, I can't do the Ed O'Dron.
1: That's a, that's a good shout out to Malcolm Gladwell right there. You know, 10,000 repetitions. And you get perfect at something, you continue to do it. That's from Outliers, a book by him.
2: I wonder if I could do the Ed Dron. Oh, down in the bio. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> I can't you'd have to warm up. I feel like I'd have to warm up my vocal cords to do something like that. But shout out to MW Giants who said you got your dad and brother hooked on the show. That's freaking awesome. Thank you so much. All Nag who says love listening when I work out. Center member D Goodman True Blue. Team. NYG, Lonnie T, Pet Card, which is an interesting name, but thank you. Dan on the Run, Puglet the Pug. Thank you to everybody who has done this. We really appreciate it. If you haven't, please take the time to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon.